Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Well, if you brought a Bible this morning, open it up to two different passages. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 24. This is our second week in workbook number two. If you didn't pick one up, they're on the table. They're absolutely free. Uh, rich resources, uh, not your common ground resources, I promise you that, but rich resources. If you're not really a hard copy, you can download them. Uh, each lesson will take you maybe seven to eight minutes to read through, but I guarantee you if you look at the scriptures and start connecting dots, man, your study can get really deep. And I pray that some of you are using it like that. In workbook number one, uh, we were studying the person of the Holy Spirit. The whole series is is living an empowered life. And we're studying the person of the Holy Spirit, wanting to know who this third part of the Trinity was. Because if you know the person of the Holy Spirit, it's easier for you to begin to understand the power. Because the power of the Holy Spirit regulates to a person, just like whatever strength and resource and wisdom that I can bring to something, if you know me, then you're going to know a little bit about how that's going to come because of my mannerisms and because of the, the way that I'll contextualize things and, and I'll make sure to understand what's happening you know, in this particular scenario with these particular people. The more you know about the Holy Spirit the more comfortable you are and the more open you are to the power of the Holy Spirit because you know the power is just not some ethereal, you know, kind of electrifying source. It, it, it's the person of the Holy Spirit in action. So workbook number two then, we shifted over and we're, talk, we're introducing, we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And last week we took a, a, a fresh look at spiritual power. We used what Romans chapter one says we can use. We can take a look at things that, that are tangible, that are measurable in the natural world. And oftentimes we can come over and find parallel truths to see some things in the spiritual world that aren't as easy to measure and understand. So we took advantage of that opportunity last week and we compared spiritual power to natural power. And here's what we acknowledged. We acknowledged together that this generation by far, any other generation, and when I say that, I'm not talking about you know, ages. I'm talking about people that are alive right now. We understand how important power is more than any other people that ever lived. We understand that we are immersed in it that we can't survive without it, that we don't want to survive without it, that, we, it, that it's essential in every, just about every aspect of life. There are different power, power uh, sources. <clears throat> and then we learn some truths from the Word of God about how do we use spiritual power, I, including we talked about that there are people that are actually living a, a Christian life, going to heaven one day, but they've chosen to live off-grid when it comes to spiritual power. They've chosen to just unplug. They, either they've been taught wrong or they're just really weirded out and, and you know, kind of scared because they've had a bad experience or because anytime someone talks about power, they talk about it in a way that, that's hard for them to relate and they're like, yeah, we're just not doing that. That's just, that stuff just gets weird. And don't get me wrong, anytime you mess with power in the natural or the spiritual, it can get weird. <laughs> we, we know that, right? It can, it can just get really weird. But spiritual power was never intended to do that. And Jesus was absolutely adamant 
I mean, to the point that he's commanding repeatedly, commanding his, his disciples, whatever you do, don't try to live this Christian life unplugged. Don't try to live it without power. You have to have power. And I'm just going to tell you, this is why so many Christians are, are living passionately, loving Jesus, looking forward to heaven, their home, but they are quite literally powerless when it comes to the challenges that are happening in their life. They kind of live in an optimistic survival mode, right? Well, just one day when we get to heaven, it's going to be great. And they're trying to be as encouraged and optimistic about it, but feel completely powerless about the things that are happening in their life. That was not the New Testament. You read the book of Acts. These were not powerless people. These were people, they knew where their power source was. And when everything was coming against them, they knew how to pray, how to get a hold of heaven, and how to get the power switches on. And we saw incredibly miraculous things. And the Bible says, this is how we're supposed to live as well. Well, again, once you understand the essentialness of power, and you're, we're just kind of approaching it to, to systematically get our, our mind renewed, um, we, we do have to recognize that whenever you're dealing with power, you've got to understand some safety you got to understand, you know, what, what, what are the parameters? What are the limitations? What are the instructions here? In fact, you can't find an instruction manual. I don't care what part of, uh, of, of the power grid, whether it's a demonstrative power, an explosive power, whether it's a, an internal, you know, an emotional power, you can't find a power grid to plug into that won't start by, by walking you through some safety procedures. And, and there's a reason for that. Because all you have to do is, is, is have a bad experience with power a couple of times, and you'll be likely to step back. It won't bolster your confidence. And so today we're going to talk about the Bible gives us power gauges, gives us these safety mechanisms. There's three of them in the Bible, standard. And if you understand this, then you never have to be weirded out by God's power ever again. You never have to wonder, but is that God or is that not God? And is it supposed to look like that? Is it supposed to feel like that? And you never have to do that because the power of God is not wild-eyed. It's not unbridled because the Holy Spirit's not like that. He's the comforter, remember? He's the counselor. He, he's the partner. He's the friend. He's the guy that when you're in a, in, a, in a spot and he steps in the room, your whole demeanor goes, oh, man, I'm so glad you're here. Not like, oh, I don't know, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do. You, that, that's not, that's, you, if you think that, you don't know the Holy Spirit. And so it should calm you down. It, it should center you again. It should bring you back to focus. That's what the person is supposed to do. And that's what the power of, of God is supposed to do. You never have to feel uh, defeated. You never have to feel lost or in a quandary. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. We know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go to the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's going to do what he said he would do exceedingly and abundantly, far above anything you ever asked for or thought about. Here's the catch. We saw it last week. According to the power that's working in you. So if you're unplugged from the grid, no power working, well, as much as the Holy Spirit would like to do that, can't do it. But if you'll learn to begin to plug in, You'll learn to let that power flow. The Holy Spirit will do what he promised he would do. So today we're going to look at three God-given gauges that will ensure the integrity of supernatural power. And then we're going to see in the midst of the study three truths 
uh, that will help you to understand the results. If you're utilizing these gauges, then the power of God can flow just like it's supposed to, and all the lights come on, and all the appliances work, and everything God intended for you to experience begins to work uh, because this is the way God designed it. But I should turn to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, because we're going we're to start with a scripture that may or may not seem like it connects, but give me just a minute and let me connect some dots. Proverbs 11, 1 says this, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. That's really bad, really, really bad. But a just weight is his delight. So even though this verse specifically is referencing the Lord's hatred in Proverbs, the Lord's hatred for, for uh, dishonest business dealings, there's a broader principle that applies all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New, and it's this, that the Lord takes great pleasure in things that have a righteous balance to it. Great pleasure in things that have a righteous balance. And let me tell you why that's so very important because the Bible, the Bible teaches us that imbalance is one of the enemy's primary strategies. I've heard it this way. If the enemy can't stop you from doing what God wants you to do, then he'll accelerate you. He'll cause you to get imbalanced and you'll just start running so fast and doing it so hard that the other parts of your life that are supposed to be cohesive begin to kind of tilter and, 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 and totter and, and, and fall apart and pretty soon you'll just crash and burn on your own, doing a good thing, by the way. Balance is really, really important. In fact, that's the whole way that, that, uh, that the serpent came in and got Eve, he got her off balance. Jesus said about the enemy in, uh, in John chapter 8 that there's no truth in him. Everything that he says is a contradiction to the word of God, to the things of God, or it, it, it's, a, it's a, a twisted version of God. And this is what he did in Genesis chapter, chapter 3. He came in and he said, did God really say that? Well, you know, here's what God's not saying and here's what he meant. And he just painted a completely different imbalanced picture and Eve bought into it, and the Bible says that, that, uh, that, that deception happened and she sinned. Well, the reason that that's important, because Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, which is where we're going next, Jesus said that this same thing is going to get prevalent in the last days. There are going to be people that are going to be coming, and they're, they're going to have all different sorts of gospels, all different sorts of approaches to, to a relationship with Jesus, to how you use his power, all different versions of it. And I'm not talking about stylistic. The Bible leaves plenty of room for stylistic stuff. I'm talking about principles, truths in the Bible, what, what's right and what's not right, what's God and what's a fabrication or, or, uh, or uh, um, a, a replication of something that God's trying to give to us, but it's not really God. So listen to what Jesus said. There's two examples in Matthew chapter 24 where he's highlighting two different things. Matthew 24, verse four and five, he and says, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, this is the last days, by the way, will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Let's unpack that a little bit. When he says that many are going to come and say, I'm the Christ, remember last week we studied the word Christ comes from the word Christos. It's a title. It's not a name. It's talking about the God's anointed one. Prior to Jesus, it was pointing to the Messiah. 
But the word Christos is just talking about somebody who is anointed or somebody who is empowered. And it's not saying that in the last days that people are going to come and only say, by the way, I'm really the Messiah. There, there are people that will do that. And there have been dozens of them uh, uh, just, just in our contemporary history all over the world that are doing this. But it, uh, let me broaden it a little bit. There's going to be people that are, that are going to come in the last days and they're going to begin to say, listen, I, I'm, I'm an anointed messenger of God. I have some anointed thing to teach you. In fact, listen, you've never heard this before. This is cutting edge stuff. I've gotten into some deeper things with the Lord and this is cutting edge stuff. And the Bible says you're going to see lots of them because they're going to deceive they're here to deceive. In fact, let's back up a little bit. When we see the word take, the two words take heeds, it comes from a single Greek word. And this particular, this particular word means to intentionally focus your mind and carefully consider something. The only time it's ever inserted in a sentence is to get your attention. For us, it would kind of like be, you know, be when you're reading the, the instructions on something and that there's, a, there's a box that's shaded in and it says, beware or pay attention, or, or be careful of this with exclamation points. It's trying to get your attention to say, beware of what? Be careful of what? I, I don't want to mess this up. I, I don't want to get hurt. What do I need to be care careful of? It's trying to get your attention to say, pay special attention to that. And he's saying, you got to be really careful. You better pay attention and get eyes wide open and stop and think and ponder and measure, he said, because when we get into the last days, the world's going to get very, very spiritual, very spiritual. I don't mean Christianity only. I mean, just really spiritual. And as it does, there's going to be people that are going to come and say, I'm God's anointed message. And boy, do I have something that you need to hear. I'm telling you, you've never heard this before. This is really, really good stuff. He says, be really careful because if, you, if you're not careful, you're going to be deceived. And the word deceived is this Greek word planao. And it, it's talking about somebody who little by little begins to veer off course from where they used to be planted on something solid, but they begin to follow another perspective or another idea, and little by little by little, they're led and they just drift off course. And so Jesus said, this is gonna be really important in the last days. Listen, we're seeing some of it already in like social gospel stuff, right? So you listen to the social gospel, some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. You look it up. The social gospel, where they cue in on words that are, that are very uh, humanitarian words, that we love people, but we care about people, but we're sensitive to people, and we're all of those things. But then they take that word love, and as soon as it gets you so immersed and your heart is soft, and you know, that's true, I don't want anybody to suffer, and I don't want anybody to hurt, and then they just start adding other principles that are not in line with the word of God. It, it's the gospel becomes more social, than it does kingdom. And this is part of what Jesus is talking about. Listen to me, it's gonna be so easy to buy into because it just makes sense. It just pulls on our heartstrings. Or man, that is so interesting. I've never heard that before. I've kind of always wondered about that. And it's gonna be so easy to lean that direction. And Jesus said, you better take heed. You better open your eyes and you better be paying attention. Now, there's another 19 verses later, he's going to address this again, but he's going to add some stuff to it that'll get our attention even more. And then he's going to end up with a couple of really big statements at the end that if you're really paying attention, you're going to be like, wow, 
I mean, that's just straight talk right there. Listen to the, uh, we're in verse number 23 now. Same chapter, Matthew 24. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Again, not talking about the Messiah necessarily. Or it could be one of those people that are saying, I am the Messiah. But talking about someone who's saying, I'm God's anointed or I'm God's messenger. And man, have I got something you need to hear. He said, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ or there, do not believe it. Why? For false Christs and false prophets will rise and listen and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. In other words, they're not just going to be given great talks, super interesting stories and insight, but they're going to back it up and they're going to demonstrate some things in power to the point that you're going to be watching and be like, ooh, ah, whoa, how'd they do that? It's amazing stuff. How in the world are they pulling that off? And he said, it's going to be so convincing that if it were possible, even the very elect We're talking about people that have been called by God, that have been born again, but listen to me, not quite taught well, not quite thinking with a renewed mind, more feeling than anything else, and they're going to be leaning, teetering on the edge because this stuff is just mesmerizing. This stuff's powerful. Let me give you a small little example, all right? You you have someone who talks to somebody who's a clairvoyant uh, we won't call it a psychic or a medium because those, those, you know, those are obvious. They send up flags. But someone who's got a gift, someone who's intuitive, some, someone who's a clairvoyant, you know, and you talk about them, and they actually tell you something that makes sense. And they tell you something that, about what's going to happen in the near future, and then it happens. And I'm telling you, if you don't have the word of God in your heart, and, and, and you're not balanced and mature in what the power of God and how the Holy Spirit works, that's going to cause you to stop and say, how'd they do that? How do they do that? How did they know that was going to happen in the future? And see, what, we're, what we, we haven't got to yet, but we're going to get to it, I promise you. Listen to me, there is an enemy who will counterfeit a lot of this stuff. And that's going to be one of the biggest facades in the last days, is it's not just going to be a battle of information, word of God versus the the worldview thinking, but it's going to be a battle of demonstration. Look, Look at what's happening in your life as a believer, and look at what's happening in the life of other people who are tapping into different spiritual sources, and you better back that up. And this is what Jesus is trying to prep us towards. He's saying, you better pay attention right now because this is really going to happen. And again, they're going to show great signs and wonders. Now, we're going to study about signs and wonders in a few weeks. Because listen, I want this church to be plugged into power. In fact, I'm, going to, I'm telling you, if you'll keep your heart open, I'm not going to ever put you in a weird situation. I'm not going to ever make you feel awkward. But I promise you, if you'll keep your, keep your heart open, the word of God's going to start making sense. And some of you are going to say, huh, you know, a few weeks ago, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. I don't even know if I'm in the right place, but okay, he said, hang in there just in case, you know, so I did. Some of you are going to say, yeah, sign me up for that power thing. 
And it's going to change your life because this stuff makes sense. And it actually works the way God wants you to work it. And I'm telling you, you need the power of God in your life, in the life of your marriage, in the life of your family, so that we can remain strong and move forward. And this is what the Bible's trying to get us to do. When it talks about signs and wonders, it is talking about things that are miraculous, things that are supernatural, things that can't can't happen without some kind of intervention that's beyond your ability or your capacity. No question about it. This is not luck. This is not coincidence. This is not, well, somebody, you know, was just thinking about you favorably. This is you saying there's no other way that could have happened. That came from an outside source and it was supernatural. He said, this is what's going to happen. They're going to demonstrate this. And here's what we have to understand as Christians. The Bible talks about, and we're going to talk about it, that God does use signs and wonders to confirm his word. But here's what Jesus is saying and what we'll look at. If the only thing you're measuring is signs and wonders, and you're not putting these safety mechanisms on here, then the signs and wonders are going to be all it takes to convince you and move you out into deception. Because you're going to say, wow, that was awesome. That was really cool. How can I do that? Rather than coming back to the word of God and saying, well, listen, chances are God does want you to be able to, to, to live in that. But you have to do it by the word of God because Jesus is telling us, and he won't be the only one, telling us that the deception in the last days is going to be to a very large degree because people just need something beyond themselves. I don't mean a feel-good something. I mean literally measurable. I need a resource. I need wisdom. I need knowledge. I need strength. I need healing for my family. I need a touch. I need something beyond my natural ability. And that's going to become prevalent in the last days. But the enemy is going to have a, a, a counterfeit power as well. So three God-given spiritual gauges is what we're talking about. If you have a workbook, we're on page number 20. Three God-given spiritual gauges. Let me just kind of give them to you real quick so you know where we're headed. And then we're going to back up and we'll look at each one of them uh, and include a truth in there, like what the result is if we'll put that in place. So there's three different uh, assessments, three, three different instruments, three different guides, three different you know monitors that you can kind of keep your eye open like the dashboard on your car to make sure that everything's running balanced. And three different things we find in the word of God. And if we'll understand this, it's really, really important. So here's number one. We find it in John 14, verse six. I don't know if these scriptures are gonna be uh, up on the screen. The first one is, uh, is the gauge of God's written word. In John 14, six, Jesus said this, I am the truth. I am the truth. And so let me just say it succinct this way. If you want to remain in the integrity of God's power, in the integrity of truth, then you have to stay close in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And, and let me tell you why it's important because, listen, power has a way of drawing people out. Something that is really interesting, really mesmerizing, has a way of drawing people out. Uh, I've, I've done a study a couple of times here uh, with, with as many of the church on a Wednesday night. And we went, I think we went for two parts, about 10 each, and we studied angels and demons, right? It's all over the Bible. Just kind of weird, though. We don't really know how to put it all together. And, and yet, you know, more talk about exorcisms and spirituality. And so we just studied angels and demons. And it was great. Because the Bible's pretty clear, you, you can kind of understand how, how they work and rank and file and what they are and what they're not, and, and we walked through the Bible, but it was amazing to me how many people got kind of just far enough into it and then started surfing the internet 
and came up with some kooky, kooky stuff. Hey, Pastor Gil, what do you think about the angel, you know, who's named and they ripped off some name? I'm like, I've never heard of that person. Who's that? Well, yeah, it's all over the internet. I'll, I'll just send you the link. And a couple of them sent me the link, and it's all this angelology, but it comes from other mystic religions and, and other blends of occultism and stuff. And it's just super fascinating, though, because the Bible only gives us so much of certain things. And then we have to realize we can't allow an appetite to develop beyond that. We've got to develop an appetite for that thing because that thing is what's going to minister and bless us and we've got to stay in a relationship with Jesus because power is really, really scary. So, for example, you, you're seeing lots of movies and things right now, uh, lots of studies on the end times, right? People want to get way out there and try to understand, pinpoint the date and the number system and, and what's going to happen first and what's going to happen last and what's going to happen next and I'm just going to tell you, you'll never figure it out. You, you should learn about it. Bible doesn't say not to study it. You should study it. But you should study it as like a peripheral, not let it become the main thing. The main thing is a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter what order it comes in. It doesn't matter whether he's coming back tomorrow or we got 20 years left or 100 years left. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to go right through it. You're going to be just fine. You're going to get to heaven. But you can understand everything, you know, to the exact calendar date as if that were possible. It's not. But you could, you, you could strive for that. But you lost your relationship with Jesus. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. And so it's really important that we understand that. We could go on and on. I already mentioned angels. There's paranormal stuff. And, and, and we could talk about, you know, the conspiracy theories. And I'm not saying it's not interesting. And I'm not saying that you can't dabble in it and, you know, just kind of satisfy a curiosity. I'm saying be careful. Be careful. Because those things can get, can get a hook in you and begin to move you away. And pretty soon, you don't have time to do what the Bible says. You don't have time to spend with Jesus because you're so, you're so busy chasing after something else. In fact, let me give you a solid scripture for this. In Mark chapter 4, verse 7, one of the things the Bible says that will choke out the effectiveness of the word is a lust or a craving for other things. An interest in other things. And so you're so busy studying, looking at other things and chasing other things and, and going to this conference and that conference, you forgot the thing and the thing is a relationship with Jesus. Three chapters later in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says this, your word is truth. So if you want to remain in truth, if you want to remain balanced, if you want to remain in the safety so the power of God works like it's supposed to, you have to remain consistent with scripture. Have to, have to, have to. We'll look at more in just a little bit. Let me give you number three. Finally, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, uh, uh, the, the, the apostle there writes, the Holy Spirit bears witness of Jesus because the Spirit is truth. And so if you want to remain in truth and you want to remain balanced, it has to be confirmed by a witness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you, you have to have the peace of the Holy Spirit. You, let me say it this way and you know what I mean. There's been situations that you've been in and you're kind of trying to look at it and understand it and your, your logical brain says, I don't see anything wrong. Uh, maybe your renewed mind, you're looking at the word of God and saying, nah, it kind of seems like it all lines up, right? Everything looks great. And, and, and look, they're, they're preaching or they're talking about Jesus, you know, and about a relationship with Jesus, but something down on the inside, something's not right. Something's just scratching at me. Something says, ah, something's off. Listen to me, trust that. Trust the Holy Spirit on the inside. Trust that. 
And I'm not saying throw that away quickly, but stop long enough to say, Holy Spirit, what is that? Sometimes it's your own conviction. It's your own understanding, the way you've been taught. And, and there's a scripture that says that when you get to those points that you understand God's greater than your heart and God will rearrange or renew your mind or renew your heart and you'll feel okay. But if you feel a check, don't just keep going on that. There's lots of things that I've not participated in and I can't logically tell you why. Other people have and they've actually done okay. But for me, there was a little scratch on the inside and the Holy Spirit was saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, I, that's not you. That's not for you. And so I back off because it's a safety mechanism that God has given us. If we can put our relationship with Jesus first, if we can put the word of God in place, and if we can listen to that little voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside, listen, we don't ever have to worry about being deceived. We never have to worry about the power of God, you know, uh, being counterfeited, never. You'll, every single time something, you'll spot it, you'll, you'll pick up on it, you never have to worry about it, and you can march in confidence. You can begin to march deeper into a relationship with God and deeper into the things of God without fear of being deceived, without fear of counterfeit, without fear of getting, things getting imbalanced and wild. You don't have to worry about that. Just keep your eye on the gauges on your dash and make sure that everything's going good. Nope, look at that. We're pursuing a relationship with Jesus. This is right in the center of the word of God and the Holy Spirit meters right where it needs to be. I feel at peace. I feel a green light. Then go ahead. Just keep moving forward. And these are not hard to learn. All right, let's back up and learn a couple more things about it then. The gauge of God's word. The gauge of God's word. And you have it in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable and it goes on and lists a whole bunch of absolutely vital things in our Christian life that it's profitable. But the word inspiration from the Greek theonoustos, it literally means this came out of God's own breath. In other words, it still has his essence on it. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 says you do understand that the word of God is alive. Not the ink on the page but the message that it contains and brings. It's alive. It still reverberates and echoes as if God just spoke it. I find it interesting that scientists uh, are, have still confirmed that as far as they can tell, the universe is still expanding. It hasn't stopped, right? And I, I, I attribute that to in Genesis chapter one, I know I'm being, for some of you, I'm being a little lighthearted, but in Genesis chapter one, the Bible says that God said, let there be light, and light took off at 186,000 miles a second and still hasn't stopped. He didn't say stop, right? He just said go, and it took off. And listen to me, we have to understand this word of God for us is alive and it's present. It still has his breath. It has his heartbeat. It has his essence. And when we mix that word with faith and we believe it and we begin to declare it, it's as if God is standing there speaking it all over again for the first time in your behalf. And this is really important, and that's why it says this stuff is profitable. It's not just entertaining. It's not just inspiring. It's not just, you know, kind of gives you knowledge base so, you, so you're, you know, you're, you're not so easily thrown off. This stuff carries the actual authority of God. When you speak in faith the words of God, it's as if God is speaking himself. The authority of God goes in. It carries the knowledge of God. It carries the wisdom of God. It carries the healing of God. It carries the, the insight of God, the strategy of God. We could just go on and on and on. 
The word of God is so powerful. In fact, on page 22 of your workbooks, I've got a bunch of examples, just super simple ones. I mean, just kind of walking along and just picking things up and throwing them in the study. These are super, super simple. All the things that the word of God does supernaturally to your life. And so it's really important that, and listen to what I'm saying. When you're around something or you read something or you see something, I don't care how spiritual it feels. I just don't. I don't care how incredible, you know, this particular ministry or this particular person, the reputation is. I don't care how spectacular it looks and and all the signs. And listen to me, if it's not in line with God's word, it's not God. It's just not. God gave us these things that are pretty simple. We don't have to complicate them. And, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people and they're just going on and on and on about this and I'll listen and they'll say, what do you think? Show it to me. Show it, show it to me. I, I, just a simple question. You, you can take a, a day or two, a week if you need and then come back and bring it, but show it to me. If you can't show it to me, I'm not buying. I'm just not buying. And this is so important, especially as we get into the last days. Here's truth number one. God's word will authenticate God's heart for you. It'll never lead you wrong. Never, ever lead you wrong. It'll walk you straight down, straight down every single time. Here's number two. Number two is the gauge of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned that a moment ago. That's on page 22. And we, we're using as a scripture here, Romans 8, 14. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This word led has always captivated me because I didn't real, you know, realize how, just how graphic it was and, and how deep it was until I began to study it. It's this little tiny word, ago. And, and, uh, and the Greek language, like the Hebrew language, is a very uh, pictorial language. And so it shows you like, like pictures and, and uses a lot of metaphors and a lot of examples so that you not only can understand intellectually something, but you can wrap your, your, your mind, your emotions, and, and your will into it because you see how it kind of works in life. You get a living example, if you will. Well, this particular word, ago, is a picture of a domestic animal. Let's just say it's a cow or a horse or it's a domestic animal that's being led on a rope by its owner. And what it communicates just in fundamental right off the bat is that there's no struggle here. In fact, the first thing it communicates is that this relationship is a close and a trusting, a cooperative relationship. Nobody's in this thing. It's not the horse, you know, that's bucking and and the the guy's trying to hold it or drag it along. It's not any of that. He's just walking along and the horse is following. And when he stops, the horse stops. And when he goes again, the horse keeps going again. It's this, this, this cooperative relationship and it shows no sign of abuse. It shows great and mutual respect back and forth and great value. The second thing the word ago uh, tells us, it's also the root word where we get the word agony which tells us when we look at this cooperative relationship, this is not a cooperative relationship that's always fun. One of them uh, often will have this intense internal struggle. Let's just say the owner says, okay, we're going, and the horse is like, I don't want to go. I'm eating some hay right here. I'm perfectly content. 
But the owner says, nope, we're going. There's an internal struggle, a wrestling match. If we bring it to us, there's a wrestling match with our flesh. We don't want to do what the Holy Spirit's leading us to do. Either our pride says, no, I don't want to stop doing this. I don't want to curb this. I I just want to do it the way I want to do it. I want different results, but I want to do it the way I'm doing it. Or I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. No, I, 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 don't, I'm, I feel perfectly happy. I'm satisfied right here. And you're trying to lead me, you know, just a little, little more forward. And you're like, I don't want to do that. There's an intense wrestling match that happens. And listen to me, you have to submit. You have to make a decision. He's smarter than me. He's God. I've given my life to him. He's the Lord. I'm not. And you have to surrender that to him. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit likely will just stop right there. And here you are praying and asking and reading and studying and quoting scripture, looking to get to the next level, and you ain't going anywhere. Because you have to be led by the Holy Spirit, and he's got to lead you in places. I've used these kinds of examples because they're so practical. Some people are saying, Lord, I can see a recession coming, and I'm going to need more cash flow. I'm going to need you to create something, give me more money. And the Holy Spirit keeps talking to you about a budget. And you're like, no, you don't understand. If, if, you, if you just give me more cash, I can get a budget. And he's like, eh, we tried that already. Let, let me give you, let's get a budget first. Let's get your budget first. And then I can give you more money because you'll be responsible to do something with it. But see, that's that led by the Holy Spirit. He starts talking to you about a budget. You're like, ah, I don't want to do that. Just, if you just give me a little more, I'm pretty sure I can. Nope. Right here. Right here. Here's the last part of this word led. It's called a present, a present participle, and I'm not getting deep into the grammar. I'm, I'm not even sure I could, by the way. I'm not a Greek scholar. But it, it does list a present part, participle, and the only reason I bring it up because this whole uh, cooperative and sometimes this internal struggle to know whether you're going to follow the Holy Spirit is not a one-time decision. It's a one-step-at-a-time decision. It's every step from now until you go to be with Jesus, all along the spiritual journey, from the time you get born again, all the way to full maturity, until you go to be with the Lord, you're going to experience this need to be led by the Spirit of God. It's a maturing, and hopefully, it's easier for you, it's faster for you to surrender, because you can trust the Holy Spirit. You know, he's not going to lead you into something weird, and he's not going to force you to do something you don't want to do, and he's not going to, you know, take control of your body, and you wake up one day like, what just happened, what did I, he's not going to do any of those things. He's going to lead you in a cooperative relationship and he'll give you time and patience while you struggle and wrestle it out and and coaching you until you say, okay, fine, we'll do it your way and then he'll lead on. But this is a one step at a time decision and you have to understand that it'll get easier for you, but it'll never stop. You'll always be challenged to the next level. You'll always move into places you're uncomfortable with. And that's the problem with a lot of Christians. They found a great little comfy pasture and they just want to live there forever. And the Holy Spirit's saying, you're not growing anymore. You're not maturing anymore. You're going to stagnate right there and your wandering eyes are going to be vulnerable to deception. I don't want that for you. And he's going to try to move you on. 
And you're going to have to submit to him and let him do that. We know that because of the very last word that I just want to show you. And it says, those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. There's, there's a few different Greek words that are used throughout the New Testament to describe children, uh, offspring of, of a father. And this particular word, son, is not talking about an infant. It's a very specific word that is talking about a son who's in the growing, maturing process. In fact, this is a son that's showing signs of developing the character that will now give him access to all of those benefits and all of those blessings that comes from being his father's son. And I gave you a whole bunch of those on page 24 of your notebook, uh, of your workbook. I gave you a whole bunch of those, including in the life of Jesus, how he developed and he was one of these maturing sons and he was able then to do more and more. Let me kind of sum up gauge one and gauge two and then we'll hit gauge three and we'll be finished uh, in a quote that R.T. Kendall said. This is what he said. He's talking about the importance of, of gauge one and gauge two. He said, if we have the word of God without the spirit, we'll dry up. I don't know if you ever met anybody like that. They're just like letter of the law. What the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. You're like, wow, back that off, man. That's just dry. And it just sucks all the life out of me. All the, all the joy leaves the room because you're just hammer, 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 hammer. He says, if we have the word without the spirit, we'll dry up. Listen to this. If we have the spirit without the word, we'll blow up. I've met some of those people. I've met some of those people, right? Off balance, right? So excited, but then they get more excited about all the stuff, the oohs and the ahs, and next thing you know, they're so far out there. It's like, I don't even know how to have a conversation with you. I mean, your, your, your feet haven't touched the ground in a long time. But notice this. He says, but if we have the word and the spirit together, we'll grow up. And boy, that is solid New Testament truth right there. That's the balance God's looking for. Now listen, we, we, we can reach high, we can be in supernatural stuff, we ought to be representation of Jesus, but listen, our feet never leave the ground. We are grounded, very practical, very relatable people because that's who we're supposed to be reaching, right? Salt and light. We're supposed to be reaching people who are down there on the ground. We can't be 20 feet in the air in the clouds talking about the, you know, the fourth heaven. About, it's like, stop, stop, stop. I, if you want to study that, that's great. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. But make sure you're doing it in the context of a relationship with Jesus and in a context of the written word of God, and I'm going to be okay with you. All right? Here's, a lot. Here's truth number two, then. The Holy Spirit will authenticate God's hand on you. The Holy Spirit will authenticate. Here's number three, and I'm bringing it to a quick close. This is the gauge of being transformed into Christ's image. Now, this is important because there's no question when you lean into spiritual power, it's going to change you. But if you're leaning into New Testament spiritual power, it should change you to begin to act and talk and think more and more like Jesus did. And if you're in a spiritual flow that's changing you into be something other than Jesus, I would question that. I would question that. Gauge number three is, is transformation making you more and more like Christ Jesus? And there's two quick verses that are helpful. One's in John chapter one, verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. The word or the term word there is the Greek word logos. And usually when it's used through the New Testament, it's talking about the written or the established word, like words on the page here. 
But in John chapter 1, it's talking about a, a different way to transcribe or a different way that God communicated his word. Rather than using ink and paper, or back then it was parchment, this time God sent a completed message to the world in human form. He didn't put this one on parchment. This one he hardwired it into a person. And that person was the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it said, in the beginning was the word. And the word, uh, it says, and the word became flesh. And that word became is the Greek word genomai. And it always signifies a ch something that measurably changed from one form to the next. So anytime you read this, it's, it's a, it, you can see it in other places in the New Testament. And, and anytime you read it, it all, you can always point to and say, and that's where the change was. There's the hinge. It was this, but now it's this. And here it's saying that something literally happened supernaturally, that God didn't write his word on parchment. He didn't write it on a scroll. This time he wrote it in human form, which means there was a time when Jesus was with God and he wasn't in human form. But he became something shifted, something changed, and the Jesus that lived with God in eternity past stepped into the future or stepped into the current state of the world, and he was God's written scroll in human form, and he literally lived out and illustrated and acted out what it looks like to, to live in God's word. This is a powerful verse because it helps us to understand this is what God's trying to do to us. He's trying to get the word of God to renew our mind to the point that it transforms our life. That's Romans chapter 12, verse two. When the word of God begins to clarify your perspective, it doesn't stop with just your intellect. Something happens deep, deep in your heart and it literally begins to change who you are. In fact, let me give you the second verse. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says, and we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So the Holy Spirit's involved taking the written word of God, changing the way we think and the way we see things. And when that happens, it literally goes deep on the inside and literally changes us from the inside out. In fact, these two things, it says, first of all, now that we're born again, that we approach this with unveiled faces. It's the Greek word anakalupo. And it literally means this. It literally means somebody pulls back the curtain so you can see what could have never been seen otherwise. There's a screen back there. There's, there's, there's like a, you know, a, a help a help sheet back there. There's an insight and an understanding that it's veiled. You, you can't see it unless the Holy Spirit pulls back. But he says, come here, come over here, come here. Okay, now look right here. And he pulls the curtain back. In fact, in this particular verse, it says that once you're born again, that curtain was permanently pulled back. You have access to understand the truths of God's word anytime you want to. Anytime you'll, you, you, you'll open up, the Holy Spirit will come and say, yeah, come here and sit down. Let, let me show you what that means for you. Not just principle to get smarter. Let me show you what that means for your life today. And the Holy Spirit will do that. That's a permanent fixed reality for you as a Christian if you'll take the time to sit down. But not only that, it says when you do that, that you, you will automatically be in process of being transformed. The word transforms the Greek word metamorpho, and it's where we get the word metamorphosis. It's like when a little fuzzy caterpillar crawls up a stem and weaves a silk cocoon around himself. 
And you don't see that, that caterpillar ever again. Not, not very long later, the cocoon busts open and you see this beautiful butterfly. Something changed him from the inside to the outside and he literally became a different person or a, di a different, different species. And this is what the Bible says God does to us. God doesn't just clean you up. He doesn't just kind of rinse you off. He doesn't help you to get a little smarter and just a little more shrewd in the way you see life. He literally transforms you from the inside to the outside. You become a different person. You become a reflection of who Jesus is. You're now part of a family of God. And when people get around you, they haven't seen you in a while. They're like, you're not the same. Thank the Lord for that. I'm not. But I'm not faking it. I'm not trying real hard. I have different appetites now. I just see things differently. I can't tell you why. I react and respond things differently. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that transformed me into the image of Christ. If I'm being transformed into something else, that's not, that's not what God's trying to do. It's all being transformed into the image of Christ. And so here's truth number three. Transformation will authenticate God's life in you. I've met people that are anxious to tell me how spiritual they are. Anxious to tell me how much they know. Anxious to tell me, let me just tell you something I got from the Lord. And I'm like, well, you, you can tell me. But while you're telling me, I'm watching your life. And what I want to know is, when's that going to transform you into being more like Jesus? And if it doesn't, my caution lights are going up. I got bells on my dashboard that's flashing, saying, wave, caution, caution, caution. Beware, beware, beware. Don't just swallow this one. Because it didn't line up with the word of God. It didn't help my relationship with Jesus. And they're not looking like, and they're not helping me to look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can understand those three simple things, and the Holy Spirit will help you, you'll never be deceived by the power of God. In fact, you'll become so confident, it's like you've been certified now in safety to know how to step in and begin to use the power of God. And I'm telling you, it's theirs, it's, it's yours for the taking. It's yours to be used. Jesus commanded it because he wants us to live this supernatural, vibrant life. And not only for us, he wants us to be able to give that away and help and bless other people. I hope you've been blessed by God's word this morning. Stand up and let me pray for you. Stand to your feet, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the teacher. I did the best I could this morning with what, what you gave me, but you have to go in and convince my heart. You have to convince our hearts you have to lead us, Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, embolden us. And we're praying that you would do that in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for everybody who's going to listen to this message, not, not just now, but those that will listen online, through the podcast, uh, on, on, online through the video, those that will be here for the next service. Holy Spirit, speak to them, teach them, help us to understand truth so that you can empower our lives. And we promise when you do that, we'll make sure you get all the glory in Jesus' name. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.